This episode of the Higher Purpose Podcast was brought to you by Navigating North, a five-day virtual summit to help you discover your purpose in business, life, and leadership. Learn more at navigatingnorthsummit.com. All around the world, people are floundering. There's something missing, something more that they just can't grasp. Do you feel it too? Welcome to the Higher Purpose Podcast. Every week, host Kevin Monroe will help you navigate to your true north and flourish in faith, business, and life. You found us for a reason. Stay tuned to find out why. Welcome to another episode of the Higher Purpose Podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Monroe, and I am so glad to have you join me today. You've joined us in the middle of a series. Uh, they're all distinct conversations, but they're connected conversations. We're, we're looking at purpose at work. So make sure you catch the rest of the series and join us for the five-day challenge that you'll hear about at the end. Today's guest, Julie Bauke, makes this personal. We're talking about you and your career happiness. I want to thank our mutual friend, Ginger Schlanger, who made the introduction between Julie and me. Ginger has become a dear friend to me and an awesome advocate for the Higher Purpose podcast. So thank you, Ginger. Now let's get to our interview. Julie, I am so excited to talk with you today. Our mutual friend, Ginger, introduced us. We connected on a call, and that call was so electrifying that I knew I had to invite you to join me on the Higher Purpose podcast. So thanks for joining. I agree, and I am excited to be here. So not only are you joining me just for the Higher Purpose podcast, but we've, we've launched a special series of episodes, and you're coming right into that, and I believe you have a unique contribution, and, and we're talking about purpose at work. And we'll get to that in a few moments. Uh, but before we do, folks, you, you need to know ab about Julie. Julie is a serious professional. And, and that seriousness is revealed in the book title that she wrote, The Job Search Book. Stop peeing on your shoes, avoiding the seven mistakes that screw up your job search. So, Julie, beyond that, what else do we need to know about you that may not be an official bio to get to know the real truth? Uh, well, you know, I'm all about career happiness. And uh, my, my unofficial title is Chief Career Happiness Officer. People will say, oh, of the Balky Group, your company? And I say, no, of the universe, of course. You know, I, I, I feel like um, I've always been about getting what you want, being happy at work, as happy as, you know, as happy as, um, as happy as you can be at work. Um, and, and everybody has a different definition of happy. And so that's, that's really always been my, sort of, I feel like my purpose is helping people understand that you can be happy at work and how to put together a plan to get there. And so um, I call myself the chief career happiness officer of the universe. And I always say, you know, one of the good things about working for yourself is you can call yourself anything you want. If you feel like a princess one day, you can be a princess. That's, my, that's one of my favorite things about, about being self-employed is just the freedom it gives you to express yourself, whether it's through the title of a book or um, what you call yourself or just really how you go through your life and your day. Okay, so even just from that introduction, there's a lot that I want to unpack there. Uh, career happiness. From your just 
anecdotal observation, what percent of the people you encounter, and I don't mean just through your work, and encounter in general, what percent of people do you think have career happiness or some, you know, are high degrees of career happiness? Probably about 30 to 40%. Okay. Yeah. When most people hear what I do, they say, oh my gosh, I need that. I need some of that. Um, and there's a lot of reasons for that, but it's pretty low. I think, I mean, I think 30 to 40% is pretty darn low. I think it is low. I think it correlates well with other research that are on yeah. related fields like employee engagement. Right. And I would think if you have high levels of career happiness, that you would probably be an engaged employee. Would you agree? Yeah. And I have a, I actually have a, uh, just a very simple little uh, definition or formula of career happiness because a lot of times when I say that, people look at me like I'm talking about rainbows and unicorns. Right. You know, well, we see a rainbow once in a while and unicorns don't exist. And so career happiness, you're kind of an oxymoron. You know, <laughs> so um, I say, well, here's what it is. Doing what you like and hopefully you or love, doing what you like or love, doing what you're good at or great at, getting paid to do it, getting paid in a way that you need to be paid in a place in a way you can be successful. So there's an awful lot to that, but all four of those conditions must exist for you to be career happy. And so when you're managing your career life as well as your home life and everything else in your world, um, to keep your eye on the ball uh, of career happiness and keeping all four of those, all four of those conditions, sort of monitoring those four conditions to make sure that you are as career happy as you can be. Um, it's you know it's we're busy people, we're exhausted, we're overwhelmed. It's it's easy to lose track of that and then devolve into well, it's a job. You know, I'm not supposed to like it. I'm not supposed to love it. I say nonsense. You say, maybe, you know, maybe you're never going to love it. Maybe you're never going to jump up and down every morning and that's okay. But you should at least, you should strive toward doing what you like to do and you're good at. Getting paid in a way that you need to be paid. Getting paid an amount you need to be paid. And you should work, strive to work in a place in a way you can be successful. And the fourth one, that one really gets at culture. Um, and, and that one has a lot of tentacles. But if you are working, if you're doing what you love and what you're good at, you can be doing it in the wrong place and be miserable. So there's, you know, we could go for hours just about that formula. But in general, that's, that's what you want to think about is those four pieces. And so that breaks it down so that it's not such a, you know, such a, such a wild theory. Instead, it, you know, it's actually practical and actionable. I love that because so much of the work that you and I do in, in the space we're in, at times we can be accused of being ethereal or kind of, you know, hard to pin down. So give us the four again. Work, you like or love. Yeah, you have to like what you do and yep. be good at it. So those are the first two. So the example I always give is if you like what you do, but you're not good at it, you know, if you like something, but you're not good at it, you're not going to make a living out of it. You know, and most people go, yeah, that's why I sing with the windows rolled up, you know. So uh, if, you, if you like it and you're good at it or you're good at it and you don't like it, you're not going to show up well. So you have to like it, be good at it. And, and you have to be paid for it. I mean, if you like it and you're good at it, that's a hobby and you can't get paid for it. That's a hobby. So, if, you know, you have to be paid. You ha it has to be something that you're at least reasonably satisfied with, the, with what you're being paid. Uh, that's a piece of it. It's not the biggest piece. And then the fourth one is in a place and a way you can be successful. So that gets to culture and a lot of other, a lot of other tentacles, but you know, right, you know, right work, right place, 
um, it all has to work together. And what's scary about that is, and I've had this conversation, actually had this conversation with a client one time, with a former client. He said, yeah, he said, I thought about you um, two weeks ago. He said, on a Friday, I was thinking I ran into your career happiness formula in one of my notes. And he said, I was thinking, man, I, I have it all. You know, this is mm. fantastic. And he said, I need to reach out and tell her that I have it all. Because then I come back to work on Monday. And he said, and all of a sudden, we have a new boss. Mm. And he said, and as soon as I see his name, I knew I had to leave. It was somebody that I had fired from a job five years ago. And he said, so I knew right away that, that my whole house of career happy cards was going to come tumbling down. Because I knew that this guy was not going to, um, it was just not going to work because of our, our history. So it's 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 carefully managing all of those things and, and understanding that sometimes one thing can change yeah. and your whole formula is thrown off. Yeah. Well, Julie, I think you have a, va- a unique vantage point to talk about purpose at work as well. Um, so what's the what correlation do you see between doing meaningful work and happiness or, you know, finding purpose in through your work or around your work and happiness? First thing I would say, and I think it's very, very important to make this distinction. Everybody defines meaningful work differently. Yes. So when I worked, I've worked with a lot of people coming out of corporations. And I'll say, I just, you know, I want to go work for a nonprofit. I want my work to matter. And I'll say, okay, matter to who? Matter to what? Um, in other words, if you say I want to work for a nonprofit, there's about a billion different kinds. What is exciting to you? How do you want your work to matter? So there are people who say, I need to see the direct connection between my work and the recipient of my work. So um, somebody like that might work in an organization where they directly interact with the customers, the clients, the recipients. There are others that say, you know, I don't want to work directly with recipients, but I want to work at a strategic level and create strategies and policies and programs that affect people in a positive way. Um, And there are other people, and I think we have to honor this, their purpose for work is to put money in their, in their, in their savings account to live the life they want and send their kids to college and blah, blah, blah. Um, And that's okay. But you have to understand where, where work fits into your life. Um, You know, I I will never forget. I had this, this, I had a conversation. This was back before I was even in this field, but because I was so fascinated by it throughout my whole career, I remember these conversations. He was a guy that worked um, for a consumer packaged goods company. um, And he, and the company I was working for was medical products. And, and he said, you know, one of the reasons I wanted to interview here and look at this company is because I realized at the end of the day, it just doesn't matter to me how many cheesecakes my company sells. Mm. And I thought that was such a values and purpose statement. And it's not to say that those people who work on plans to sell more cheesecake, there's anything wrong with them. It's just that they view work differently in the big picture of their lives. And so I think you have to know what you want out of work yeah. um, before you can ever hope to find it. Yeah. So I'm, I'm just going to say, I'm going to push pause right here a moment and say, folks, some of you need to let this sink in. Some of you are listening just to hear this because you're saying, I want more meaning out of work. I want my work to be more, more meaningful, more full of meaning, but you have no idea what that really means to you. So if you cannot mm-hmm. put some metrics around 
meaning because meaning can be measured. So what's meaningful to you is a really critical point that no one else can answer for you. Only you can answer that for yourself. So thanks, Julie. That's a great observation. Yeah. And we, you know what? I think we default to that a lot of times when we can't articulate what it is about our work that is not working for us. So I don't know. I just don't feel like it matters. I just don't, you know, so we, it's kind of like the, the catch all we throw people in sometimes. Well, he just has a bad attitude. Attitude, word attitude means nothing. You know, the word meaning means nothing only to you. And so it's really, really important. And I'll go back to the career happiness formula for a minute. One of the ways that I use that with people is as a diagnostic. So, so tell me, it's like going to the doctor and saying I hurt all over. Well, you got to start somewhere, right? You know, specifically, no, where do you hurt? Because your doctor can't do anything if you hurt all over. Right. Um, so with, you have to look at the formula and say, okay, what is it that um, of these four pieces that I am, you know, that, that's really, and it can be more than one, that's causing me to be unhappy at work. And interestingly, Kevin, sometimes when I do webinars on this, we'll do a poll question about this. And at least 60 to 70% of people say the thing that um, the thing that is causing them to be unhappy at work is the last one. They're not working in a place in a way they can be successful. Break it down further. It has to do with culture and leadership. Yeah. Yeah. So very true. And, and that ties into other research and you know, this, um, mm -hmm. the number one reason people leave jobs is bad boss. Mm-hmm. That immediate a boss. That's right. They don't, you don't need a company. You leave a boss. Yeah. And like you said a moment ago about the gentleman who loved everything about his job and comes in on a Monday morning and sees, oh, I've got a new boss and I happen to have bad history with the new boss. Everything changed because of that one thing. So right. yeah, that leadership is essential. Uh, I'm guessing that most of the people you work with are in some sort of transition. Is that true? Yes, but let me let me put an asterisk beside that. We're all in transition. Oh, absolutely. We're, if you think about it, um, it's just it's it's just that they have chosen. Well, uh, in in most of the people we work with, have chosen to accelerate their transition. Um, have chosen to you know our tagline is take control of your ambition, mm -hmm. and um, they've chosen to take control of their situation. So, they might be gainfully employed. Um, very secure in their role for the moment, but have decided as they look around and then look ahead that um, it's not going in a direction that they care to be, continue to be a part of, or something in their life has changed that now makes what they do, you know, what they do or how they do it untenable. Hmm. So mm -hmm. they have either chosen that, or in some cases, the people we work with have been laid off or let go. Right. And in most cases, people say, "Yeah, I really didn't like that job anyway." Um, so th there was a decision made that by either the person themselves or by their organization that they need to move on to find their next opportunity. And even though we know very few of us, if any, are in the job we're going to be in when we're 65, um, in this case, they have, they're recognizing some, sing some sig signals, some writing on the wall, some red flags, or some very direct feedback either from home or work saying, 
you know, this job's not working for you anymore, you know, and, and um, you know, again, it could be internally driven, it could be externally driven, but they are moving toward actively taking, taking on a transition. Yes. So that was a, that was a very long answer to a yes or no question. <laughs> well, that's okay. Uh, that's what uh, consultant and coaching type people do. Well, it's, <laughs> there's a footnote here. In a recent conversation I had with Paul Sohn, who wrote a book, Quarter Life Calling, talking about the crisis he had in his 20s and how many people now are having that, what used to be a midlife crisis at a career, at a quarter life crisis in their 20s. And it's a question or a conversation I have with a lot of people. Once you get in touch with your purpose, what are the changes you made? And, And for Paul, one of those first changes was what you said. The path he was on wasn't leading to where he wanted to go. I had that same crisis in my life, working, following a path, and then all of a sudden realizing, wow, this isn't going where I want to go. Uh, so how do you help people navigate that and, and figure out, I mean, do, do more of the people that come to you know where they want to go, or they just know they're not on the path they want to be on? That's that, Yes. The, the last one. That's much more like it. I was, in fact, because I was going to say to you, well, lucky for you, you knew where you wanted to go, and you could look at your path, and you could say, okay, this isn't getting me there. Um, what I hear generally is some version of, I don't know what I want to do, but I know it's not this. <laughs> okay. Um, right. And and um, or my least favorite, I still don't want to. I still don't know what I want to be when I grow up, which I have no patience for. Because I always want to say, you know what, unless you're 19 or 20, you're grown up, you know, and so the career fairy isn't coming. Um, so you have to figure this out yourself. Um, and so you're, you're right. It's, it is much more of a Julie, you need to looking repeat. around. And, you need to repeat that. I hate to interrupt you, but you need to repeat that again. <laughs> Which part about I still don't know what I'm be when I grow up? Yeah. And, about and the, the career fairy. The, the, yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, and I, I, that uh, people always say that and they kind of laugh. I'm like, you know, that's very, that, that causes you to stay paralyzed because the the thought is that somebody's going to figure it out for me. And I tell people, look, the career fairy isn't coming. You know, they're, you know, I, you know, I say, you know, to put your dreams on a piece of paper under your pillow and see how that works. You have to take action. But we, the problem is we don't know how, first of all, we don't know how to figure out what we want. And, um, I think a lot of times we overwhelm ourselves because we think we have to have this big plan and we have to have the rest of our career figured out. And no, I mean, there's too many things in your life that are going to hit you, that are going to change you. So, so many experiences you want to have um, that you're going to have, chosen or not, that are going to define the steps of your career. And so I think it's important to think about, especially if you're younger, to think about what what, here, so here's a simple question I ask, I ask my clients. What do you want more of? What do you want less of? What do you never want again? And that's a really, really easy question. It's a, it's a simple part, question. And those aren't easy answers. Three-part question. What do you want more of? More of. Less what do you want less of? And what do you, what do you never want again? What do you and, and apply it to your job. Look at, every, look at your job you have if you don't like it and say, you know, this job doesn't have enough of this. This job has too much of this. So you might say, I want more contact with our customers. I want more contact with direct users of our product or service. Less. I want less, um, less paperwork, less 
you know, focus on the technology side of the world, less travel, whatever it is, never again. You know, I never again want to work in a culture that in which I don't have shared values. That's just, those are just things that came off the top of my head. So when you start to really think about that, it's easy to, it's easy to say, okay, so now I'm going to look for something that fits this criteria I've just set out. And maybe your next step in your career isn't the ultimate, but what you're looking for is the next step on your path that's going to get you closer um, to to that elusive definition because we both know that life, you know, you know, life um, throws stuff at you you don't expect. I heard this. I was having dinner the other night with a friend who, um, and he was talking about he's like my age, late fifties, and he was talking about having a conversation with a young man who was a friend of one of his sons who's probably 28 and is um, on this path. It, and um, it's, they were talking about religion. And this young man is very sure that he has all the answers. And my friend said to him, and I, he, I said, I, this is so profound, I have to remember. My friend said to him, he goes, yeah, I remember your, being your age. He said, I, um, I was convinced oh, I had all the answers too. He goes, but the problem was I hadn't, hadn't heard all the questions yet. Yeah. I thought, oh my God, I love that. Um, and it's the same with our careers. You know, you don't know what you don't know yet. And so it's it's about being open and fle- open and you know being being focused but flexible. And just keep going toward more of what you want, more of what you want, and say no to things that that offer you too much of what you don't want. And just have confidence in your ability to find those things because when you find those things are gonna shine and other doors are gonna open. Okay, I got stuck on something there in a good way, Julie. I got stuck on something there. And all of a sudden, I hear my mind or feel my mind going somewhere else. Let's talk about the power to say yes and the power to say no for just a moment. Mm -hmm. That manifesting in career, because I see people saying yes too easily. And then all of a sudden, when the big yes comes along, they don't have any room because they already committed everything. Right. Every no, every yes is a no to something else. So talk about the yes and the no in career. Well, you know, it's, it has to start with self-awareness. Yeah. So if someone comes to you and says, Kevin, I got this project for you to take on um, that, I, man, this is such a great opportunity for you. I think the first thing you have to ask yourself is, well, we could, we, you know, we go right back to the career happiness formula, right? You know, am I going to like doing this? Am I going to be good at it? Um, of course, the pay and all that matters too. But I think when when an opportunity comes your way, whether internally or externally, and sometimes we don't have the power to say no, I understand that. Um, but to, to look at something, a project that someone asks you to take on, or an opportunity that you choose to pursue or not, can I hit it out of the park? Am I going to be good at it? Uh, am I confident that how I'm going to show up and my performance on this is going to, I'm going to shine and I'm going to then attract more like more of it to me. Or am I saying yes, because I don't want to hurt somebody's feelings or because I'm scared, I won't find something else. So there's something about the self-awareness and the confidence to say to somebody, you know, man, I really appreciate you thinking of me, but I don't think this is in my sweet spot or this is not really what I'm trying to do more of. Let me suggest that you talk to this person. There is, first of all, that's really, really attractive because your person who asks you to do it 
want somebody who's going to hit it out of the park. Mm-hmm. And if you're saying up front, that's not me, but I know who is going to hit it out of the park for you. That's what they want. Yeah. You know, and, but there's this professional, I call it, it's self-awareness, it's confidence, but it's also, it's also professional maturity. You're not good right. at everything. Right. You know, sorry. Um, and, you know, to be able to say, I'm good at these things, but if you want these things done, you need to talk to someone else. There's just, it's freedom. It feels great to say it. And you ensure, or you greatly increase the chances that you're going to create career happiness for yourself because you're only, you have a, a framework within which to say yes or no. Okay. Going a little different direction for a moment. From, from the research I've done, our previous conversation, the people you work with have been successful, have had some degree of success, correct? Yes. Does that always correlate with being fulfilled? No. No. Um, first of all, uh, I have the to definition of success. So, yeah, I have sure. to ask that, Julie, because there is such a myth of, of so many people that if I can just be more successful or that next rung on the ladder, then I'll be fulfilled. But you've worked right. with people that are yeah. working the ladder, lots of success, and they're still looking for something else. So unpack that for us. Well, you know, and I think what's hard, you know, we, we define success generally as like money and title. And um, a lot of those folks are, they're as miserable as everybody else, sometimes more so. And I would even say that sometimes those folks are, um, they are feeling it, it's harder for them because they are trapped in a lifestyle or an ideal or a, um, uh, they are so, um, they are, are people who are, um, people are aware of, people admire their success. They live in a big house or they do a lot of really fun things and they've got a lifestyle that makes them look successful to others. It is very hard to walk away from that. Right. Um, I had a client once who was a chief financial officer level guy, absolutely hated it. All he wanted to do was operate a store for bird lovers. That's all he wanted to do. But his spouse mm. never would have given up the big house and the big salary. And so he stayed stuck in that until, you know, until he died. Um, so your definition of success is what matters. So you can be at that high level traveling a ton, but you don't have a relationship with your kids or a relationship with your spouse is poor. So, you know, you might decide that looking successful to the outside is all that matters and that other stuff will take care of itself. And then we find a lot of times later in life that we're sadly mistaken. Other people don't define success as money. Um, so, you know, if you are a fantastic middle school principal, you've been successful at something. You know, in other words, you have the DNA and yeah. you're willing to do the hard work to be successful. It doesn't really matter. Aren't people who are good at what they do and who love what they do, they're attractive and exciting to be around because they've got an overall energy that, that emanates. Um, and Sometimes the people who are at those very, very high level positions are miserable to be around because they have no life. And so we can get carried away by the tidal wave of climbing the ladder. But you know, the, the, I, I think, I hope the millennials are taking a, a different look at that and they're going to redefine what success looks like. So I'm hoping that, um, hoping we see more of that as time goes on. 
Well, just as you said earlier in our conversation, it's really important for you to identify your understanding of meaning at work. It's also important for you to identify your definition of success. Because if you don't know what success looks like for you, someone else is going to supply the definition. And when you're working right. with their definition, you may be incredibly miserable because those aren't the things that are important to you. I, I right. And just like I said earlier about purpose, like there are people who their purpose is to do a good job from Monday through Friday and then leave. And they find their life's purpose outside of work. Right. So it could be coaching, you know, middle school girls basketball. It could be working in the community or inside their religious organization. And that could be where they get their purpose and their meaning. And in their portfolio of life, their 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 work, the paycheck is just a means toward right. that end. Okay. So in our earlier conversation, you mentioned the framework you use. As I recall, it's think, plan, execute. And I believe a lot of what we're talking about kind of falls into that thinking phase at this point. Will you walk us through your the phases of your framework? And did I get it right? Think, plan, execute. You did. PPE. Yeah. Yeah. The think part, that's when you think about a job search or a career change or a job change or a, you know, a, a somehow a pivot in your career, um, there is a temptation. What happens is we aren't very good at kind of assessing uh, a lot of times we ignore the flags that come along the way. We get a boss that doesn't seem to include us in things. You know, things are going on that we think, oh, it'll get better, it'll get better. And a lot of times we don't act until uh, until it's so miserable that we can hardly get up in the morning. So most people left to their own devices in the think, plan, execute model start with execute and they execute, execute, execute poorly, 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 you know, because all they're doing is going out and answering ads on job boards and um, connecting with anybody who will connect with them and hoping for the best. It's sort of like job search junk mail. Um, but think, plan, execute is is our model where we walk you through a series of questions um, designed to get at what is important to you right now. So who are you right now as a professional and as a person? What has your experience taught you or brought you? What are you capable of doing? What do you want to do more of and less of? All that sort of stuff to help them figure out who are you separate from your identity um, with your organization. A lot of people, when you ask, well, what do you do? Oh, I work at, you know, Procter & Gamble, a big company here in Cincinnati. Right. Uh, well, I always say, no, that's not what you do. That's who pays you to do what you do. Uh-huh. So you have to get grounded with who you are as a professional. Then you have to think about, okay, now what else do I, what, what's my logical, what's the next step in my career that's going to help me get further, um, that's going to help me get more toward where I want to go? And by the way, where do I want to go? So as you go through that think, as you start to really get some more definition around what do you want next in your career, what are some likely next moves for you, that's when you start putting a plan together. And we actually, we don't even do resume work until plan. Because uh, resume is a marketing document, and you don't know what you're marketing or what you're marketing to until you have gone through the think stage. And so during the plan stage, that's when you start to tell your story, LinkedIn, uh, resume, you know, all the other tools that go along with that, a networking plan, a search plan, then you start executing. 
And it really is a very simple model, but it really, it's interesting how it, when you are, if you ever managed a, a, process, a project at work, it's the same thing. You have to think of what am I trying to accomplish? What resources do we have? What are we missing? What's our plan going to be? Then you execute to jump right into the fire, whether it's job search, project management, whatever it is, is a mistake. And once you start executing, you execute with purpose and focus and the right message and the right tools, and you have confidence and you have self-awareness and you know what you're looking for, that is so attractive to someone looking for to hire talent versus somebody who's like, well, I, you know, I don't know, I can do a lot of things. I really like people. And I'm a hard worker. Please give me a chance. I'm desperate, yeah. which is how most people come across in job search. Now, I would think that in this thinking phase, uh, that that's where frequently the discussions of meaning and purpose surface. For sure. What? Yeah. What happens when? Because for some people, this may be the first time, at least in in the light of career, that they're thinking of meaning and purpose, or given permission to dream about meaning and purpose. What are what are, what are some of the highlight moments, or a highlight moment that you think of? You know, when you brought that up, and somebody that just like really came alive. Is there one that comes to mind? Um, yeah. Um, the, you know, the, yeah, it, it, this is an interesting one. And I think I tell the story in my book because it's, um, I think it's just, it shows how you, all this doesn't have to be so big and scary. Um, a client who was an accountant and worked for a traditional accounting firm, went to work inside of a company thought that might be more, you know, um, you know, more pleasing, um, but just really felt like, so really felt like, you know, she was one of those rare kind of left brain, right brain people who was very good in accounting, but loved art and beauty and just nature and um, just, you know, really had that side and just felt like working in an accounting firm. And then at a company that was, um, I think a manufacturing company, she, um, you know, she really felt kind of blah, kind of dead inside, kind of like her work didn't have any, it really just didn't have any meaning. She was just showing up and checking the box off. Well, she ended up going to work at an art museum hmm. in accounting. So she was still doing the same work, but she was still doing it in a different place. And so she felt like hmm. she was still utilizing her skills and getting paid decently but she was doing it toward, more toward her purpose, which was to bring more beauty to the world. Yeah. And so I love that story simply because it shows that you don't have to give up your skills or your profession to make enough of a change so that the whole, everything, the scale tips in your favor of happiness. So not only does she get to walk in, in beauty yeah. um, during the day at work, but her, the, what she's doing advances something she cares very much about because we think sometimes that we have to make such a big change that oh, I can't do that. How would I ever do that? Yeah. No one would ever hire me to do that. And it's, it's, you know, the, the number of people who've actually thrown the baby in the bathwater out and started over, those are very hard to come up with because very few people actually do that. And so it's not an all or nothing sort of thing, which I think a lot of people get really stuck on that. Before our time runs out, there, there is a conversation that I, and you alluded to a concept a few moments ago around energy. And, and you've given me permission to have this deeply personal conversation. Thank you for that, Julie. Uh, 
you and I are people of high energy. And in our earlier conversation, we kind of went down this bunny trail that people, it's easy to think that people who are positive and people who have high energy in life have a very easy life, that, that, they've, that, that they are positive and energetic because life's never rained on their parade, you know, and, and they've just kind of <laughs> gone through life immune to all of that. But you gave, you, you in your journey, you, you've gone through some really difficult times in, in recent months. W- would you share that part of your journey and, and how you found grace and strength that I believe will be a, a source of hope to others? Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, first of all, you're right. I think it's everybody has um, a level of energy in the world and they, they approach the world in a different way and in different ways from each other. And there's no right or wrong way. And I think we don't. And so I think a lot of times you're right. People look at you and say, well, you've got, you know, you've got it all, you know, what are you, what do you have to be sad or upset about or, you know, and, uh, but I lost my husband um, nine months ago and it was unexpected. He was healthy and fit. And it was um, from a complication from surgery. It wasn't routine surgery, but it wasn't a big complex surgery either. It was a, um, a uh, little um, something that happened that caused um, a germ to get into his blood and he died of sepsis. And um, so, yeah, entirely unexpected. And um, it, it was, it was interesting to see how people react to that. Um, I remember that at the visitation and there were so many people there. I mean, I know so many people and he grew up here and so many people came and it was, I mean, it's exhausting. You talk to anybody who sit, who goes through that, it's exhausting. And people were like, oh my gosh, you know, you're so positive and upbeat. And, you know, my focus was on all these people that came to, you know, pay their respects. And I, I was just so appreciative that they came and I wanted to have a smile on my face and I wanted to, um, you know, I didn't want to be standing there, you know, sobbing. And so I discovered through this whole process, not just the immediate event, and um, everything that that happened after that was that you know when we have something like this that happens, we really don't know how we're going to react. And I think a lot of people put some put how they think they would react or how they have reacted in a similar situation onto you as the right way to be. And um, so for me, I have been. I mean, the 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 option of sitting around moping never crossed my mind. Mm. It, and in fact, I think if I decided that that was how I had to be, I think, you know, I just don't think I even know, the problem is I don't think I know how to sit around and mope. And so, you know, I've just got into action and um, did what I need to do, did, did what I needed to do. We had moved out into a house um, out in the country and we had lived in it for less than a year, but it wasn't something I wanted to live in on my own. So I immediately put it on the market and moved to a different part of town that felt, felt more like me and what the next phase of my life was going to be. Um, the kids are grown and live in big, different cities. So I didn't have to consider those sort of things. But I thought, you know, I think for me, it was it, my, my mindset, if I could characterize it was, wow, you know, I have now, you know, we, we hear the phrases, life's too short, you know, life is for the living. Um, you never know what's around the corner, you know, all those sort of things. But when you go through something like that, it becomes very meaningful. And then you have to decide what you're going to do with those platitudes. 
are you going to embrace them or are you going to say, you know, that's just a load for somebody else? And I just naturally, I mean, I didn't, I didn't make an active choice. It's just kind of who I am that I just said, okay, this sucks. You know, life's dealt me a blow. Um, It's certainly um, not what I would have chosen, but we don't get to choose. And what I do get to decide though, is how I'm going to be in the world and how I'm going to move forward. And so I just started to move forward Mm. and um, it's just caused me to, you know, and I was never a sweat the small stuff person, but even more so like, you know, wow, that is such not a big deal, people. Um, And, you know, then on top of that, I I bought my mom is in an assisted living facility. When I go to visit her, you 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 walk through the lobby where, you know, all the people are sitting there and, you know, suffering from various states of issues. And I think, oh, you know, between here and there, it creeps up on you every day. You know, you don't just wake up and you're sitting dozing in a nursing home. And so I've decided that all, I don't know what's around the corner. And so um, life is way too short to be miserable. And it's, it's how I've always been and how I'm choosing to be. And I'm trying to put more of that in the world with everything that I do. And I think, you know, I've, I've embraced the fact that maybe I can be a role model for people who are um, in these kind of situations. And um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I, life is good. I still think so. I thought so nine months ago. I thought so six months ago. Um, and um, it's just, it's just how I'm choosing to be in the world. And we do, we do have a choice. We and I think we forget that a lot of times. Yeah. Uh, Julie, thanks so much for sharing that. And, and as I was listening to you talk, I, I was just suddenly aware that while so much of your professional life has been helping people get unstuck in their careers, you now have an opportunity to help people get unstuck from difficult situations personally as well. So yes. mm-hmm. what's the hope? that you could offer someone, uh, the person listening, who's feeling stuck in whatever situation that is, whether it's a career situation or some other kind of personal tragic situation, what's the hope that, that it will get better or that it can be better? You know, doing for others is one of the best things you can do to feel better about yourself. Yeah. And the thing is, you don't have to do it all at once. I think people think I've got to make this sweeping change. And what are the small things you can do? So even going back to what do you want more of and less of and never again? Um, you know, for me, it was like I knew it automatically. I wanted more time with my friends. Um, I wanted to focus on those relationships. So the first thing I did, and I was able to do this, and I understand that's not everybody's situation, but I started traveling. Mm-hmm. You know, um, starting in January, you know, I started visiting friends who I'd lost touch with. And re-energizing those friendships and, you know, just re- so I recommitted myself to those friendships, which some of them, you know, had let sort of, you know, die off a little bit. And so I asked myself, who are the people who are most important to me and who I want to be around the most? And I want to make sure that relationship doesn't die. I had to make the effort. Okay. So that's another point, I think. I think that when you have something in your life it, it, you always hear about people who are like, oh, you know, we'll have you over, we'll do this, we'll do that. Well, most people don't do it. Right. And so instead of sitting at home feeling bad about it, I think you've got to say, hey, remember back in November, December, we talked about getting together. Let's do that. My schedule's cleared up. I've been traveling a ton, but I'm back home and I really would love to get together. 
And as a single now, I can say with you and your husband, you know, or you and your wife, I don't mind being a third wheel. Yeah. And so we can sit at home and play pity me. But what I've done is said, I've, I, for me, because I wanted what I wanted more of was more of the friendships in my life. I looked at all my friends and, and friendships and said, who are, what are the ones that I most value? And it doesn't have to be everybody because certain people, you know, I, I just, they just aren't on my radar screen anymore. And that's okay. And you've got to be okay with that. What can I do to actively build and nurture those friendships and relationships? And I've thrown myself into that. Now, for somebody else, it might be gardening, reading, um, exploring museums or charity work or, you know, um, learning a new hobby. You have to figure out what do you want more of and then just start taking little steps and your life can be beautiful. Um, you can surround yourself with other other people and other interests that you know, can keep you young. And I think that's the older we get as we look around and see people who seem to age unnaturally, like they age much faster than, than their chronological age. I think when we stop seeing the wonder and looking for the good and building our own good. And I think that's when we start to wither and die, both mentally and physically. And I've just made a decision not to do that. Okay. Julie, you, I, I, thanks for sharing this. This has been such a fun and fruitful conversation. I'm so grateful for Ginger making the introduction. And then I'm so grateful for you accepting the invitation to join me here today. And for those that... I love the, what do, you, what do you want more of? What do you want less of? What do you never want again? And I'm sure there's some people saying, well, I want more of Julie in my life. How, how would they get that? <laughs> well, a couple of things. You know, my book is 100 pages. There are stories and pictures. It's an easy read. You're going to read it and you're going to be like, oh, that's just like listening to Julie talk to Kevin. Um because I write it in the same way that I speak. If you are considering any sort of a job change, uh, and it's really appropriate for people right out of school and people in their 50s and 60s, suggest you pick that up. I promise you, it is the best. I think, you know, on Kindle, it's probably 7 or $8. Um, you'll, you'll get a lot of those types of exercises in there that help you think through your transition. And please read it before you start to do anything with your job search, please. That's why I wrote the book because so many people came to me after they'd already peed on their shoes and you had to go back and clean it up. And that's just a mess, obviously. Um, but you can also visit, um, I do a lot of professional speaking webinars, those sort of things. And, um, you know, so you can visit my website at www.thebaukegroup.com and that's B-A-U-K-E. Well, thank you so much, Julie. Thank you, Kevin, for giving me the opportunity to share. I appreciate it. Well, it's been a delight talking to you. I want to unpack my takeaways from this wonderful conversation with Julie. Number one, you always have a choice. Just remember that. Whether it's a, a difficult job situation or, or something in your personal life, you always have a choice. Choose wisely. Number two, invest the time to identify what's important to you in terms of meaning and how you monitor and measure success. If you don't, someone else will do it for you and you may not be happy with their definitions and measures. Number three, this whole idea of self-awareness and, and being aware of how you are showing up and how are you presenting yourself to the world, your energy to the world. Be the you that, that you were created to be. 
And if you're unsure about that, I want to plug a future episode. We haven't even in, uh, booked it yet. But Tom Winninger, a friend of mine who's really helped me understand gifting, has a new book coming out. And in just a few weeks, he'll be a guest on the Higher Purpose podcast. So look up the episode or look for the episode with Tom Winninger. Stay tuned as you're about to hear about the Purpose at Work Challenge, and I hope you're engaging with us. If you feel like you don't have purpose at work or you want to clarify your purpose at work, we have a free five-day email course you can take with daily challenges and action steps to help bring the meaning you are meant to have in your everyday life. Go to kevinmonroe.com slash work purpose.